to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Hello, listener, and welcome to episode 116 of The Big Red Couch. I'm Craig, and on the other side of the world... It's Ben. How's it going, Craig? I hear you're travelling again, tediously enough. I, I am, tediously enough. This episode, I am calling in live-ish from Edinburgh. <laughs> cool. Which is cold, and it rains. As long as the hotel Wi-Fi holds out. Uh, for as long as the hotel Wi-Fi holds out, yes. I, I don't give great chances of the cellular uh, internet solution working that well in a stone building. Hmm. Hmm. Things aren't likely to change. If, if if it's as good as we're getting, it's staying like that. Pretty much, yeah. Yes, I, I am in Edinburgh for a work thing mm-hmm. and took the sleeper up, which which was quite fun. Though, in the nature of sleepers, you don't actually get that much sleep. It sounds all, like, terribly civilised and so forth. It It is quite civilised and they bring you breakfast, which is quite nice. Oh, I did see on a lament slash retrospective of New Zealand rail services that there was a there was a rail service from an overnight sleeper from New Plymouth to Wellington. And it's something a name like the Blue Streak or something like that. It was kind of kind of wild. Huh. Yeah. I'll check that out. It was it was it's it seemed a bit extra for a train travelling across the the lower west coast of the North Island of New Zealand. And, you know, there is there is a storied history of um, New Zealand Rail, which mostly got utterly destroyed during the uh, the 80s, thanks to our uh, Labour government that really, really wanted not to be a Labour government. Unpacking that one slightly, a politically left-of-centre government that really didn't act like it. Well, at all. As far as state-owned, you know, state assets and uh, like economic thinking, not so much. Not so much. True. Yes. Yeah, that that didn't stand them in great stead at the next election. To be fair. Yeah. Anyway, so our topic today mm-hmm. comes to us from Will Myers. Unlike, as I understand it, our topic from last yes, time. Yes, I have to have a, make an abject apology to Will because um, there must have been some transposition in the card shuffling when we made notes about the episodes on our collective internet brains because the card that in fact had Will Myers' name on it, which makes a great deal more sense considering uh, Will's content on the internet and general interests, was this one and not The Haunted World of El Superbisto. So, yes, I'm abjectly sorry, Will. I shouldn't have associated you with that just garbage fire of film. And, yes, we'll try and make it up Try and make it up for everybody with a much better episode this time around. Was that convincing? I think it was pretty convincing. Also, I should point out that from the description of the card, there is a fighting chance that I am responsible for the haunted world of El Superbisto being in there. Because while I've never seen the film... I have heard the title, and apparently it's in my non-handwriting. If it was in my handwriting, we would have no idea what it said. It it is in printing and was quite legible, and sadly legible enough to lead me to the actual film. So. Yeah, I'm guessing it's all all capitals, maybe up large and small capitals? Possibly squared off. Because that's probably me. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah, that... That, that, that's that's more or less how I write, because my actual handwriting is appalling. Mm. Okay, so it's actually Greg's fault. Damn you. Okay, cool. All right, so, so we've established that. Awesome. So, what is the actual prompt that Will actually sent us that we're actually doing now? Well, actually, it's on Thursday, he became a monk, which no one expected. I like it. Hmm. It's mysterious. Oh, uh... Indeed. I, I've got a couple of ideas for mm-hmm. it. One of which harks back to my very first attempt at GMing, and also anime. Golly. <laughs> mm. And I'm going to assume that these things were not the same, but they have a commonality. They were not. The market penetration of anime in New Zealand in the early 90s 
was very limited. Well, when you say market penetration, it was mostly Rutsukudoju, so yeah, fair enough. Okay, so in c- certain areas, that market was well and truly penetrated. Yeah. I am so glad I don't have to edit this one. <laughs> well, you have, you have to find links to Legend of the Willy Beast, so um, fair's fair, I guess. I'm, I'm hoping to find gifts. <laughs> oh, oh no. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Alrighty. Okay, possibly the gif will be that um, cat picking up a kitten and just sort of walking away with, that's enough internet for today. <laughs> fair enough. Alright, so, well... Let's hear about it. It sounds like this is this is Nostalgia Central. Indeed, though I thought I'd start with the other one first. <laughs> so The bait and switch. Even better. Oh yeah. Which, oddly enough, is a solid description of what the game would have been. My, my thought on, on Thursday he became a monk, which nobody expected, was if we had a modern day setting, and it, this is an, an utterly modern day setting, sort of right, right here, right now, but with slightly less of a Fatboy Slim soundtrack... Not watching the world wake up from history? Ooh, Jesus Jones? Uh, that yeah. or... Uh, I think it was Jesus Jones. Or Jesus Jones, depending on who you asked. I thought it was EMF. Ah, that's right. Anyway, indeed, yes, we're, we're, we're getting well nostalgic here. So yeah, just taking it entirely literally, somebody, presumably somebody of enough importance that, that people are curious, gives up their entire life, enters a monastery, and insists on, and is actually able to take their vows then and there. Mm-hmm. Which, to my somewhat limited understanding, isn't really how it works. Based on my limited internet research, and you know, a helpful website from some Trappist monks in one of the, the central states in the US, there is definitely a process, and it has steps, but a lot of it is like talking to people and seeing if this is right for you, and then going on like a month-long retreat slash solitude-based thing, which often most people who have made a snap decision about becoming a monk last for about three days, apparently, so... And they realise, oh wow, this sucks. Well, yeah. This this is not for I me. I have actually talked to somebody who became a monk late in their career, as mm. it were. I mean, and he did things like asking ex-girlfriends what their opinion on the uh, decision was. <laughs> Which has got to be a really weird conversation to have. Interesting sample selection, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I would possibly weigh the results against, you know... The, the happiness of the breakup? Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> it doesn't sound... It depends. The, the, there seems to be differently stages, but, you know, it could happen quickly enough for somebody who isn't like extremely publicly scrutinized to to carry on Mm. but not on a single day like on a single day somebody walks away from their entire life walks into a monastery and becomes a monk right it's no no what's going on surprise monking yes indeed but if i was going to do that one i would have a hard time not making it a horror of some sort Somebody has learned or seen or experienced something that has scared them so hard that they have walked away from their entire life, possibly just to spend the entire rest of their life on consecrated ground, or possibly there's a bigger plan in place, Mm. and whatever it is has scared the folks at the monastery enough that they're willing to go along with it. That would be the kind of circumstance where the the, the timetable might be sped up if you you had a compelling... Uh, argument or or plea for sanctuary. They might go, oh, you're mm. here. Oh, you want to be a monk? Oh, we can't send you outside. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, whatever whatever this is, it's kind of, you know, sanctuary is one thing. This is full-on full on, full on taking of the vows. It's got to be pretty bad. I can see how that could, the one thing could lead to the other, rather than sort of like there being the normal. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. All right. So, but it's certainly, there, there is definitely something driving that. Indeed. I, I mean, the temptation to go kind of Da Vinci Code slash The Sin Eater with it would be quite fun. That you've got some big theological, if not ecclesiastical, conspiracy going on. And basically put, yeah, put the players, well, player characters, in the circumstance of, okay... This person, and it's got to be somebody reasonably important, um, and we're talking kind of Citizen Kane level of interest here. It's like, 
Why? Why does this person do this thing? Somebody hires people to go and investigate, and then, because it's a role-playing game, they will get caught up in shit that they never really saw coming, right. and have to deal okay. with it. Yeah, and there's, there's certain restrictions and societal expectations placed on the fact that the person there is now in a cloistered or silent or just awkward order. Mm. That that aligns very closely with the idea I, I the most fleshed out idea I had, so I can pick up from there if you want. Ooh. Please. Yeah. That's about all I had with that one. I don't know whether it would be better to have this is the entire conspiracy mapped out ahead of time, or whether you do something more loosey goosey story stick quibbly wobbly. Where's this bit going? And kind of define what the conspiracy is and what the hell's going on as the game goes on. I I genuinely don't know which would be better. Given that you kind of selected a particular thing, I mean, yes, if you were doing a, a very collaborative story and it's like, and the guy becomes a monk, which nobody expected, you would then figure it out by yourself. But if you're going to say, you're, you're looking into this person, they have disappeared into a monastery, you should probably have a plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think that's that seems reasonable. Um, my take on this was, you know, more regulation, horrible role player vision. The person who is who has suddenly become a monk on this this particular uh, Thursday mm-hmm. is your target. You are an extra legal group of badasses, possibly out to assassinate, capture, render uh, you know render unto the law. But you aren't strictly speaking the authorities in this place and in most circumstances you could just you know kick the doors down shoot bad guys and take this person away with you but suddenly they're in a monastery it's not it's not a good look of well we got him um on the other hand you're gonna need some more augustinians yes indeed and you know so so it, it, it it could be in a contemporary setting, which would, would work for this one, or anywhere that, you know, any time or era where you can't go full Lindisfarne without people. Lindisfarne? Um, is an island that got um, severely vikinged. Right, okay. And, you know. Also, I believe that's the first time I've ever heard somebody use that phrase. Anywho, you know, if, if, you, if you can't do a straight-up Viking longboat raid on the place and take what you need. This is the circumstances that, you know, first you've got possibly a, a, a compound which is not well studied or recorded, or at least is kind of an awkward, non-standard kind of setup. There's a group of folks who may be dressed very, very similarly and behind walls, so long-range tactics are probably out of the question. So you can't go sniping somebody in a, in a black or brown and just hope it's the right guy and the normal kind of social subterfuge is entirely more awkward mm. so it it sounds like a if you have a team of you know a team of tough guys or a team of smooth operators and you want to throw them a real curveball and this might have been set up in advance this might be relatively legitimate as far as joining the order is concerned they've just arrived and gone oh Okay, we could have pulled him out of any penthouse or compound or prison or office block. You care to name. He's, but he's in a monastery. How do we deal with that? Yeah. On the other hand, it does explain that three-day strip club bender he went on. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, we could have pulled him out of any champagne room in Las Vegas. Now he's in a monastery. Yes. Did we? Did we have to let him have that last... That last hurrah. <laughs> Maybe we should have stepped in earlier. Yeah. So yeah, as a, as either like a a, a, a covert, uh, you know, as a covert kind of operations thing. So they, you know, and maybe stealth might seem like a good idea, but if you don't have any information about what's going on ahead of time, you're just running around a place wearing robes and hoping for the best. Yeah, which does sound like a lot of a lot of few games I've played, but <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah. it, it's 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 more it presents certain challenges that, and you know it's not a strictly um, strictly modern day one. Some of these orders could still have 
you know, militant leanings. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm reminded of the um, the Neville where the Black Friars, the gentlemen in robes carrying AK-47s. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're Abbott and his nice cup of tea. The terrible challenge of the nice cup of tea. Cool. I mean, me as GM... I would I, I would want to set up the circumstance where the players realise he's gone into a uh, monastery, taken vows, and then sort of look back at the previous behaviour and go, oh, shit, yes, of course he was. Just, yeah, that was that was a last hurrah. Damn it. Um, it would be good, yeah, it would be, it'd be fun to watch them put that together. It was like, okay, oh, he's doing these things, he's preparing to do something. Aha, we are, we, 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 we're figuring out what his weakness... Wait a minute. Oh. Nuts. <laughs> He's making significant trans- um, um, transfers of money to offshore accounts. What can we track them at their charities? Oh, for the love of them. <laughs> um, yep. Cool. Yeah, that could be a for a bunch of regulation door kickers. They could sound like, shit. Okay, we don't want the entirety of one of the major religions of this of this planet coming following us the rest of our lives because if we you know if we treated this like like a a drug lord's compound or something like that like you know like we normally do yeah that's going to go bad they will find out these people have you know resources that you could not dream of also potentially you're in the circumstance where I mean, you might want to contact whoever hired you and say, hey, uh, this is the situation. But then there's a chance they might say, okay, cool. We'll just hire some people to go in and kill everybody. It'll be fine. But you're still going to be on the hook for it. Well, yeah, maybe you've been you've been following around long enough. It's like, oh, okay. We know someone is looking for him. We've got, we've got enough information to, to maybe track that back. Yeah. And if, you know, the, the, the beautiful 12th century monastery leaps into the air in a gout of flame, they go... We weren't expecting that, but we have some questions hmm. to ask you. Yes. <laughs> we have here a strongly worded note. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to drive a moral conundrum to these guys, think, ah, we're hard asses, we do this sort, of, this sort of thing all the time. It's like, wait a second. If we don't do this the subtle way, the people with less morals than us will end up doing it the unsubtle way. And that won't be mm. good for anybody. Yeah, that's quite a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially if, if you've got... I mean, if we go with the the default sort of Shadowrun cyberpunky thing where, okay, if we're going to do an infiltration, then we'll we'll have the Deckers on board and we'll do all this. But in this case, the security is more... There's no passwords. It's just everybody knows everybody. Mm. Deeply analog. Yeah. Yeah, they've probably got... You know, they'll, they'll have electronic systems, but probably the best security is that everybody knows what the abbot looks like, everybody knows what the new monk looks like, everybody knows who all the novitiates are. Yeah. It's a small enough community that you can't hide in it without some very significant disguise skills. Hmm. And as you say, so much of the uh, information potentially, especially if you're trying to be a bit annoying about it, is going to be in an analog or possibly just offline state because or possibly latin okay that would be funny like we've hacked into their uh, the yeah we've hacked into their section of the cloud it's really really bad security does anybody speak like <laughs> anyone anyone at all oh I, <laughs> maybe it would probably make sense for um passphrases and so forth to be you know the fact that every everyone there is deeply familiar with a set of texts and mm. you would need cyberpunk levels of um, information retrieval to fake that sort of thing quickly. Yeah. Yeah. There could be many, many layers of challenges there. So that would be that would be interesting. That would be an interesting one, yeah. If the, the passphrase system is the ability to flawlessly recite scripture from memory. Because that's a really hard one to fake. Yeah. Cool. No. Wow. Mm. I like it. Mm. <laughs> cool. What other notions did you come up with? Well, we're just sort of throwing throwing into the pot there before I move on to the 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 other idea. 
given that I am working my way through the various um, Cadfell, the evil murder mystery stories, and something that was in the last one I, re- uh, I had read, which doesn't really touch on he became a monk, but feels like it could be worked in there, was the whole thing of using monasteries effectively as a retirement scheme. Okay. That the plot of the particular story basically relates to somebody giving all of his lands to the monastery in return for effectively a retirement village home in the monastery for the rest of his days. I'm not 100 on how you work that into he became a monk, but it feels like there might be something there. I'm just not sure what it is. So I just thought I'd bung that one in there to, uh, to, to complicate matters. He sort of became a monk. Or at least he hang out. He, yeah. he sort of hung out with monks. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, potentially, you know, if you were doing this in a in a much more medieval setting, and you've got somebody who suddenly becomes a monk, and then you dig into it a little bit more and discover, yes, he's he's become a monk. He's taken the vows. He's doing all the monk stuff. On the other hand, the monastery now owns this very wealthy person's considerable estates. Their family is pissed because. They were planning to inherit some of that shit, and now it hasn't happened. What's going on here? If you wanted to do the non-modern version of it. Hmm. Of course, it then allows you to squint um, suspiciously at the abbot of that monastery and say, Really? So basically this guy just bought himself a monk's cell and an uncomfortable robe. You didn't look too hard at that one? That that seems unlikely? Um. Well, depends. They might have been getting... Yeah, you know, a sizable chunk of land, and you know, the church has never turned up. Oh yeah, it would be sizable chunks of land. Mm, it's sort of a eh, there's not looking a gift horse in the mouth, and there's being stupid. This one feels closer to being stupid. <laughs> I'd know it'd be an entertaining one if you wanted to do the, as opposed to this person is hiding in a monastery from something so horrible and terrifying. If this is part of a plan, this is basically, I will give you all of this cool stuff if you if you make me a monk. Cool. Now that I'm a monk, I can wander around inside the monastery and get access to the forbidden whatever. Okay. That if you maybe flip it around, that you've then potentially got the circumstance of this person's relatives being entirely keen on finding out why that happened. The party investigating and discover, oh no, he actually was a complete bad guy, uh, and now we have to go and save the monastery. Hmm. Does kind of sound like one guy in a robe at that point, though, once you've figured it out. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. At that point, it, it is it is one guy in a robe, though presumably what you're going to have is a certain amount of pushback from the people who would rather not, for whatever reason, have, uh, have it pointed out that this guy is clearly up to something, and you've been played for suckers because they've got all this cool land. Yeah. Or, well, it could be a, it could be a ploy to make, to like take a chunk of, of strategically valuable or, or otherwise important land and put it in the hands of another group, which makes the entire situation just way more complicated. Hmm. Yeah. So it's like, but yes, this is, this is, Rightfully ours. Yeah, but yes, but it being rightfully yours... It's about to start a war. Yeah, cause the ballet for, like, five different groups, okay? So can we mm. can we just maybe work this one through? Yeah. Yeah, could be interesting. Yeah, it might, it might be kind of a, a, a legal loophole thing. It's like, ah, well, that belongs to the church now, and you can't kick me out without, you know, without ceding the, uh, the, the lands back. And that causes even bigger problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you'd, you'd need the right kind of bastard to do it. Hmm. And it's probably the sort of thing that... I think for that one, more than the modern-day the modern day flat-out horror version, you would need a really good setting. You'd need a very real setting for the players in order to make that work. Yes, so the real... Well, the modern-day one kind of relies on... Widely understood, it's bad to blow up religious um, institutions, especially when they're completely unarmed and not doing it. Indeed. Kind of thing. So, But yeah, having an equivalent sort of um, strong personalities and strong political mm. tensions explored. And that kind of brings me to my second idea. And As was my plan all along. Mm, yes, very cunning. No, it wasn't. 
This is a dumb idea, and you probably shouldn't use this. But in context. Excellent. Basically, a member of your party, or somebody the member of the party has to look out for, has a case of the galloping character class changes. (laughs) So, (laughs) on Monday, they were a barbarian. On Tuesday, they were a bard. On Wednesday, they were a cleric. And, if the 5th edition was to be believed of of D&D, they should have been a druid on Thursday, but suddenly they became a monk, which nobody expected. Are they multi-classing or just completely changing? I think they're just completely changing in this particular circumstance. It would be annoying as hell and involve keeping running character sheet tallies or something. But the fact that Mm. this curse is apparently running them through the character classes skips a bunch of them in the middle. I was like, okay, it was a dumb curse to start with. Now it's just making even less sense. (laughs) I mean... I think this is great for any number of reasons, partially because it actually lets me springboard off that into my idea as well. So these have linked up suspiciously well, to be honest. I'll do a little bit of... I will do a little bit of backgrounding, though, before you get onto your... Oh, please do a little bit of backgrounding. I I, I have some stuff to throw in, but background. Background away. Well, I saw an opportunity to get my hands on a second-hand copy of the 5th edition D&D triumvirate of um, the Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, and Monster's Manual. The... <laughs> I feel like they slightly misquoth on... I think it's the back of the DMG where they say, Oh, if you want to re- if you want to get more into this game, you should get the Player's Handbook. It's like, Bitch, you can't not play it without the Player's Handbook. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. There is no way of making a character without the Player's... Um, to, to be fair... Reluctantly. Mm. It might be that the um, D&D Beyond website, etc. stuff has those bits. Like, I was able to make up an astonishingly shit character in about three minutes using their random um, thing. When you are ready for even more, expand your adventures with a 5th edition player's handbook and monster manual. I got nothing. Yeah. Aside from that particular thing, I've actually quite impressed with the various stuff that they have done i'm i'm actually kind of blown away where they the the character creation allows you to select your race and class before you do any stat rolling and the restrictions only kick in if you want a multi-class it's like so you want to play that dwarf cleric go for it you probably want to go you're probably not going to want to roll 3d6 straight down the line and make sure that you have like some chance to do the things you're supposed you're allegedly good at so with the old fallback, though I remember hearing about this and thinking it was back in the day, thinking it was this is a bit you know a bit cheating. They got the old roll four to um, take the three highest. Roll four, take three. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's what I said. But so, but look, here, it's like yeah, you this way you get to play the character you kind of want to play, and they're probably not going to be crap. <laughs> Probability speaks that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know they've. The books look great. They're really well laid out. There's lots of there's lots of good stuff in there. The DMG has like really good like world creation stuff, which is part of the. Think about how here are the assumptions about most Dungeons and Dragons games. Like there are gods present in the world, and magic does this, and it's like, and this is how it normally works. But here are some shit you can change. It's like, oh wow. It's like cool. It's like this is the kind of things you can do. And you know, there's lots of things about characters personalities and backgrounds and things that you can get into it's like awesome because a lot of that that well the, that was space inside the skeleton of earlier editions and you know the earlier editions of most role-playing games let's be fair so they they, they fill that out a bit more and that's cool and then huge chunks of dmg are like tables you just roll randomly on which is traditional but also seems a bit kind of did we not leave this behind with Rollmaster? And to a lesser extent, Millennium's End. It's 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 not that the they're just weird to see the next one another. One, of, I think, one of the cool things. I mean, I mean forever the cool things about D and D and huge tables full of things was like I can remember my little little eyes getting wide. Go, oh, this is a weird word. I wonder what this means. And having to try and figure out from context and finding you know you know references, learn learning a lot about history and so forth. 
I mean, a lot of that wasn't done for you, and you had to kind of, you know, figure out what a dais was or things like that, you know. But you know, it was a it was a good thing. Seeing them side by side, it's like they've got like they've got it. They've got the random dungeon creator still in there, which is the daggiest thing ever. It's only a few pages. It's not. Yeah, it's, I it's mean, it's not technically I, a waste. It's just okay. I actually have a set of dungeon creating, like random dungeon creating cards, but that's just yeah, me. yeah. I, it's kind of it's for fun, you know. So the reason I've been getting back to my roots, in as much as that, like I had like random bits and pieces, I, and I, I think. I'm not sure, but I think I tried to figure out, or at least I'm pretty sure I knew people who tried to figure out how to play Dungeons & Dragons from, like, just the player's guide, things like that. Because at points, you know, it was relatively hard to get in these hardcover books, especially, you know, the the, the uh, advanced D&D editions were relatively expensive for, you know, adolescents mm. and so forth. Especially out at the end of the world's longest it seemed at the time, um, shipping chain. Yes, yes, kind of difficult. Oh, another random aside, um, I work with a Polish guy who um, tells stories of uh, hand-translated and annotated photocopied versions of D&D books going around there in the 80s, which sounds almost magical and probably was huge pain in the bum. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anywho, so, uh, beginning back at this, because, you know, I've, I, um, I've been pleasantly surprised at the the quality and the affordances made to make the whole thing less of a grognardy mire in places. So, going through that, I've got the and the other gentleman who we're going to gonna try and make characters today, even, and try and run mm-hmm. a two-player game. And... I hadn't considered that previously, and just locking down like enough people interested in one game, one place at one time. So there's going to be a fair amount of explaining what D and D is, and coming up with them, the nature of the world, and what they want to seek. But you know, just sitting down and trying to figure out what they want to see in a game, because personally. As far as D&D is concerned, I've got a few mental blocks. D&D is D&D, and it kind of o- occupies a space of the games I played when I was 12 or 13. I kind of feel I got a lot of what I could get out of it then, and I'm not sure how to re-engage with it. That's on me. How do you bring back the magic? Not even that. I mean, it was it was dumb. We were dumb. So very, very <laughs> dumb. I, I think I... One of the things I I recall is trying to come up with a way they could have a character who had basically a crossbow built into a shield. So you had the benefit of having a missile weapon and a shield at the same time. You know, and they're both vaguely convex, so they could basically be the same thing. But why not more than one crossbow? So (laughs) a tower shield with multiple crossbows in it. I, I... yeah, I think he may be like a, 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 a like a bristling matrix of things. Yeah, why do that at all? But you know, that's the kind of that's the kind of thing you come up with. I'm sure everyone has a secret shame and doesn't need a podcast to talk about it. I mean, it's probably already out there. The, the, the secret shame gaming podcast is that a thing? It could be. Maybe it should be. A it thing. should be a thing anyway. anyway. <laughs> yeah. So so st- stuff like that, and you come up with crazy weapons and crazy character concepts who are all dark and edgy or super powerful and so forth. So I'm I don't I don't have a deeply vested interest in any of the existing D and D properties or worlds and I want some and I want to try and help my players make a, a world that they find interesting. But I don't want to make too many assumptions about whether they want to be high fantasy, low fantasy, gritty realistic, whimsical, inherently comic or funny with bits where it gets kind of serious kind of sort of sort of situations and and how you want to play that and the role that magic takes in the world and things like that there's like there's so many things to think about and that's where you're know, coming back to the thing that's talking about world world building it's like where do you even start it's even with D having kind of like this it's like D one of the one of the ways i've broken down is Exceptional people go to dangerous places 
and face deadly creatures. For the possibility of unimaginable wealth. Mm. Oh, but that, yeah, that is literally the cycle. Mm. They, these exceptional people go to the dangerous places and face the deadly creatures to become more exceptional, to go to the more dangerous place to fight the, deadliest cre- the deadlier creature. Which is... It obviously inherently works. We're looking, you know... It's, it's, it's the granddaddy of all RPGs that people love playing this game. And that creates certain constraints. It drives that, you know, there is a safe place for that supports and... Or, you know, relatively safe place that supports and encourages adventurers to become a thing and a less safe place where they do their adventuring. If these places were the same places... They'd be criminals. <laughs> yep. And various other things. Anyway, how culturally the world works and how the races interact and you know, all these things. So, like, so that diversion is fundamentally about this, the stuff I've been thinking about and how, how do you describe a world? How do you, if you have a world, there are things you need to describe. If you're trying to build one collaboratively, I guess the the point is that you've got to work with your players and ask the questions to find out what they're interested in. I mean, if economics never comes up, you can make certain assumptions about it works pretty much like everyone's used to. If, say, economic disparity or issues of that sort are important to the game, you kind of got to talk about it and find out what people are interested in. So yeah, so coming off the stupidest curse in the world and trying to figure out why suddenly your 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 friend is a monk. Uh, hey, I was even impressed to see that monks monk still hangs around, because it always seemed like a weird inclusion in this fantasy universe. Well, it's effectively somebody wanted to be a fighter without a sword. Well, I think it was also because it was like the 70s going on 80s, and Kung Fu was a thing. I mean... They, they've they expanded their role, or at least the, the, the way they're presented a bit. But they used the, um, I mean, one of the ranks back in first, I think it was first or second edition? No, it was first edition AD&D was like Master of Flowers, and Master of the Four Winds, and things like that. Really separate yeah, masters for each Clearly, reasons. you ripped this from shitty martial arts movies. Yeah, it's actually Kung Fu, so. And, yeah. and the rest of it being very Tolkien-esque, it's like, yeah, all right. Good on you. <laughs> and I'm just reminded of the, the the Dave Barry comment that martial arts allow people have have in the past allowed people after years of training to make some of the worst movies ever committed to celluloid. Ah, <laughs> oh, but they're fun. <laughs> so so anyway, so you had a, you had a point spinning off from the um, was it the curse that that inspired it or. It, it was it was more the meta analysis of the curse. Okay. Wow, that sounded bad. Um. Okay. Secret shame podcast. The Go. fact. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know who, who wants to get the domain. Or do we just sling it off Ward.net? <laughs> so, the fact that one people can spot that this person has changed their character class. And that they could think about it in those terms tells you something about the world. Yeah. And the fact that they then say, wait, he skipped ones, not only tells you about the world, it tells you that they know about the player's manual. Or at the very least, the hairy shouty man, annoying singing man, smitey holy man, next comes tree-hugging magic man. Ah, oh, so it's, if it's happened in a few circles. In, in, uh, it could have... Yeah, if, if the curse has gone through a few cycles, yeah. then... And, and maybe they've discovered that there's actually um, a, a, a there is actually a longer, more complex cycle. But, the, yes, the idea that... And getting back to your, like, early, your early game slash anime thing, the spate of anime isekai dropkick gets dropped into a fantasy video game world and people literally i mean one of the best ones konosuba uh, god's bl- blessing on this wonderful world you you go up to the desk and have your aura read and a little card printed to confirm which like level and class you are huh see i was i was thinking log horizon yeah yeah similar thing except partially because it's the only one of those i've seen uh, konosuba is is 
Log Horizon, but brutally funny, and everyone is idiots. Okay. I mean, I, one, one of the things I liked about Log Horizon was, and for the benefit of anybody who doesn't know what the hell we're talking about, uh, Log Horizon is an anime where a bunch of people who are playing an MMO find themselves physically in the the MMO. They are their character. Even even more than that, that they're in a world that seems to have all the same rules, and yeah, they resemble everything. And so they know how to do all the things their characters knew how to do, except things. But things the characters didn't know how to do, like cook food that tasted of anything, they had mm. they had to learn. And yeah, the skill character skills were important, and character classes were important which is kind of what what this made me think mm. of yeah your your thing of this person is rapidly because i could imagine within the context of, of that show somebody um sort of looking at it and saying well okay you know if this was if this was a plague that it hit somebody could look at it and say okay well look if you look at this they're swapping between the classes they're doing it in alphabetical order and then wait what about this guy hmm yeah effectively that requires Characters who are aware of aware of the rules of their own existence, which would be a terrifying thing. That would be that's the it's it's the Munchkin plague. It's rather than the players having out of character knowledge, it's the characters having out of player knowledge. No, it's the character. Yeah, the characters having out of character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like out of character knowledge. They suddenly know. This is the order of these things. How do we know this? No idea. Or, well, we figured it out after the first, like, three cycles, you know. Mm. It would also be alarming if, you know, you were, you were playing this as being... Um, if you weren't looking at the, the metagame part of it, and, you know, the character went from being... It, it had some of the trappings, and like not just the ability. The ability is like, ah, oh, right, I feel like berserking and charging the enemy with an axe, and like the next day is like... Maybe I'll sing. <laughs> mm. It's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. How, how does this work? Weren't you? Uh, weren't you wearing somebody's rib cage as a hat yesterday? And now I sing. What of it? <laughs> yeah. It's like okay, something is weird is happening. <laughs> yeah, and especially if all of this stuff changes. That would really, yeah. That would really be a. <laughs> I guess I guess this this slips back to my jabbering about some of the faintly anachronistic feeling stuff that sits around in, in even fifth edition D and D. They've got a big chunk of the the DMG is magic items. Shock horror. A lot of them I recognise from the good old days, the names and so forth. They've got lovely pictures of them now. But they've also got like artifacts and things like this. Some of them the artifacts seem less crazy than they used to be, but it's still got, like, the, the iron hand of Vector and so forth. It's like... The head of Vector! <laughs> Why does nobody put in the head of Vector anymore? Yeah. But, A, it... The butt cheek of Vector, sorry. It really kind of shapes expectation. He's like, you can't look at that and go, ooh, that's cool. And, and, and you know, think, this is where this game's going. It's like, you're supposed to have the... the Acts of the Dwarf Lords or something. Someone's supposed to get this thing because it has stats and shit. It's the same original problem as, you know, they gave they gave Thor 300 hit points and the um, deities and demigods and expected no one to kill him kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's going to happen. Yeah. Somebody's going to figure it out. <laughs> it didn't, doesn't look to be that hard, to be honest. Yeah. Well, they learned their lesson by the time they got to the Terrahask, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you've got to kind of... You've got to work at it. If you're going to make something... Yeah, yeah, you can't put stats on it. It's an issue. I, I think the, the, the easiest way we came up with for killing a Tarak did involve having a full wish and a limited wish. And a lawyer. <laughs> nice. Oh, was effectively, we need to do a bunch of damage, and then you need to wish it dead. Okay, so let's just teleport it really high, let it fall, wish it dead while it's in the crater. <laughs> Done. Yeah, basically, while it's bouncing. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So effectively what we're doing is hitting it with a planet and then wishing it dead while that's happening. Anyway. That's fair, that's fair. And, 
I mean, these things do inspire creative problem solving and good old chuckles. Indeed. We, okay, the, the tackle the, the metaphysics of character classes and whether that be, becomes like a horrible existential mind melter for the characters in the game. Um, the appropriateness, you know, whether, whether that is being... It, you know, it might be an interesting take on it. You play, you play the, the isekai... Um, we are actually aware this is a game. There's a couple of others... I think there's Sword Art Online is another one. Yeah, they're actually playing a game that's very that people get trapped in playing the game. They're actually you know they've, they've got physical bodies. They're just kind of plugged into the units. There's one called Oh okay. There's one called uh, something 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 Death March about a I don't know if it'll get continued because it was kind of dreadful except for the protagonist wasn't leeching on you know, like underage girls specifically like. <laughs> It's one of those things. The actual anime was kind of dull. The redeeming feature was that he was accidentally collecting a group of foundlings and trying to help them and get them to 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 survive in the world. And despite him being de-aged to late teens, he was rather more interested. In, <laughs> he was interested in women who were his original age and wasn't being a scumbag at all. So it's like, huh. That's different. Okay. But it also was basically, inside against was apparently a, a MMO developer who may have died at his desk. So it's like, this is a strange thing that's probably not going to go any further. And there's another one that's just is running this season, which is that time I was re- reincarnated as a slime, where somebody gets stabbed on the street in Tokyo and winds up in a fantasy realm as a slime, and you know, innocuous little... And this is the dragon, the video game Dragon Quest, not the role-playing game Dragon Quest. Cute little blob, except somehow he managed to, um, with his, his dying wish, get the ability to just, like deconstruct and analyse material and then reproduce them. And he's basically the god, <laughs> because he's trying all these weird things and so forth. It's fun, though. So, and it plays with the kind of tropes. So, okay, so you could go with the weird isekai style. We know it's a game, though the rules of the world are game-like. You could, and you could, or you could go with the fact that these archetypes are very well established in the world. Maybe they have clubs or dress codes or something. And somebody is rapidly switching between them, not necessarily at their own will. Yeah, it's one of those, yeah, it's one of those awkward abstractions that, talking about the history of D&D, made perfect sense when you had heavy cavalry and pikemen and so forth. But when you've got human beings walking around, you know, they might be in the army being heavily, heavy cavalry, but it doesn't fundamentally change who they are. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. They are not their role. Yeah. You mentioned anime. Um, you also mentioned one of your early one of your early games. Indeed. Okay. So yeah, this one was um, back when I, I first had a crack at running a game. This was AD and D Second Edition. Nice. Which had only recently come out at that stage, mm. and I I had started on the idea of a world, then realised eh, this isn't quite working for me, or this is this is too big for me to do, and so kind of discarded it, but. This kind of brought it back. That was basically the idea of... And this is also where the bait-and-switch thing comes in. Mm-hmm. But you you start out with a world that is... In the in the initial idea, it was going to be your, your standard quasi-Middle Ages world that is the, the Dungeons & Dragons default. Mm-hmm. But you start out in, effectively, a, a realistic, sort of historical Middle Ages setting. Yep. Boom. And then some event occurs, and much like uh, the, the Shadowrun setting, magic enters the world. But rather than a case of, you know, we very slowly see little bits of magic coming, it's like, no. Somebody wakes up as a monk. Somebody wakes up as an elf. Effectively, the world gets rewritten. They remember what it was like yesterday... But now they're an orc. 
Hmm. Yep. That would definitely be a thing. Yeah. Somebody remembers, you know, remembers what they were doing yesterday. Now they're a wizard. It, would you have these, like, just be completely arbitrary and random or kind of match what people were like to a degree? And it's just kind of I... codified them, like, super hard, kind of pigeonholed them. I wasn't sure. I mean, you could, it would be, it kind of depends on the story you want to tell. Mm. I mean, you could go with, okay, let's match it sort of to what the person was doing. So, scribe, more likely to be a, uh, a, a wizard. Clergy, more likely to be um, cleric, soldier, fighter, hmm. etc. Yeah, you could have race kind of running in families, so you've now got the family of elves who live next door. Oh, it would be it would be such for a start. The the indie classes are kind of extended professions that not everyone has a class. Or at least I'm not too sure how fifth year handles it. There was kind of like a unclassed. I know some editions had peasant as a class, which kind of seemed like a downer. It did. It kind of well, this sucks and. I guess everyone is multi-classing peasant slash whatever they are. Maybe the peasant requirements aren't very high. <laughs> what yeah. happens when you're a 12th level peasant? Nothing. <laughs> mm. You're just really good at being a peasant. Yeah, yeah. so so that's a thing. But yeah, and yeah, it makes, yeah, on Thursday, you know, we all wake up and such and such is a monk and it does make, yeah, it's like, oh, that's not just the only thing that happens. Like, oh shit, what's going mm. on? And I... Yeah, you could either turn it into yeah, okay. So this is the start of a, it's an it's an odd start to a standard issue fantasy game, mm. or you play it as you chuck people in there, and the game is about people working out effectively how this completely new world works. Mm. You know, they can call upon the the clergy can literally call upon God to have stuff happen. People can perform feats that just are impossible. Hmm. Or you know, when, you know, when Fred does his, his cool flashy sword move, this time there are sound effects and lights. Mm. It's like, yeah. I the first one of the first things I think is like, oh yeah, the blacksmith make a dwarf. It's like and now all of his tools and workspaces are the wrong size. <laughs> it's like shit. <laughs> yeah. It would kind of depend on how you wanted to play it. If I was if I was doing that version of it where it's this is the game of dealing with the consequences of this change, I would probably want to set it in a, a fairly small, well fleshed out town. Yeah. Because this is this is a cozy catastrophe. Depending on how cozy you start, sure. But yeah. you, I like that because there would be a lot of interesting stuff to develop on how your how your the your little locality was affected, and that you could use to model that if you wanted to go further. Yeah, so you've got the blacksmith who is suddenly too short to use his own forge. How's that gonna work? You've got depending on how far flung you, you know, if you go with sort of generic. Yeah, standard issue, second edition, um, D and D. Well, that's one thing. If you go with fifth ed or, or fourth ed, where you start to get yeah, player characters with demonic attributes and heritage, mm. that's going to get interesting. Yes, very questions will be asked. Yeah. If you've started out with a a a, a solidly uh, mono, monotheistic religion, and then suddenly you've got clerics and got yeah. Yeah, people who can apparently call on the favour of gods that nobody's ever heard of. Hmm. You can have quite a bit of fun with that, but if I was going to do that, I'd want it to start small, start with sort of a known cast of characters. I wouldn't want to do that in a city, because I know me, that would just get away on me. Yeah, there is a... There's a sort of a template that I think of immediately for that in a video game called State of Decay, where this is a zombie apocalypse, but you were out camping. It's a classic. Yeah, protagonist and his friend pull up and crazy people attack them and they have to fend them off and they get back to the ranger station. It's like, oh, something terrible has happened. Um, we got to get back to town. I think there's a there's a thing. There's all these, these, these things. They might be zombies. And by the time you get back to town, you've kind of eased your way into the various 
game mechanics and the fact that the situation is deteriorating around you. So yeah, that that definitely puts you in mind of how that was structured. And also the um, setup for the book Earth Abides. Cool. Which is a um, not zombies. It's a it's a it's a regular old plague. But um, our protagonist is out hiking. I think gets bitten by a snake, hmm. manages to make it to some sort of shelter, and yet is is not in a good way. Is not going to. Hmm. Yeah, knows they're not going to die from it, but is is not feeling great. However, when some people turn up at the shelter and his first words to them are, I'm sick, he doesn't really understand why they ran away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't know to say, that's okay, I've been bitten by a snake, I don't have the death plague. Pretty much, yeah. So, yeah, um, for... If you wanted to do a game about, let's come up with, what does this look like, then small, small setting... People figure out their powers. Um, I'm not sure what system you'd use. Not D&D would be my thought, because ideal. I don't really want... wouldn't really want to do a game of, okay, I'm going to make my... read the... yeah, I want to roll for read the character class. That, that feels a bit boring. Something where the players are a little bit more involved in and actually have to figure out this is how this works. This is how being a wizard works. Right. Would kind of seems like it would be more fun hmm. for for that sort of game. And it would possibly mean you're not cleaving to a single edition or actually or or the D and D like stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's like I'm pretty confident there isn't a role playing game with a system about figuring out which role-playing game you're in. <laughs> that is... It, it is a little lifting yourself by your own bootstraps, yes. That takes metagamey to a new level. <laughs> mm. Cool. Yeah, so that was that, that was where that one came from, and it sort of has... It has the links into uh, Log Horizon anime, because you've got people kind of trying to figure out what the consequences are of you know, rules that made perfect sense within the context of a game that they're playing on a screen, but when you apply it to what is functionally their physical body, Hmm. that's kind of a different story. When when very strange skills have significant in-world effect that didn't... Yeah, have have an in-world effect much greater than they did when you were just playing a game. Yes, and also trying to live an existence with this perpetual living existence with this very constrained set of skills, and like the first problems that these folks run into is griefers and boredom. Yeah, so that's a interesting one. Okay, that's a cup. That's a couple of different angles. The people discovering they're in, they're in a, a actual role playing game, trying to deal with the, the deal with that and. Or figure out why life is treating them like it's a role while they're while they're in a mechanical game system, or people in a world suddenly forced to conform to another paradigm, a bit uh, a bit like talk, yeah, but in a in a yeah very, mm. a very specific fantasy element being dropped on top of everything. Cool, that's way more than I was expecting to get out of Monday Barbarian. Um, Monday's Child is full of wag. Nice. <laughs> um, and it's something to close the episode out, because I, I think we should probably close the episode out. Yes, yes, we should. <laughs> Taz posted on the Fear the Boot forums uh, with a comment about the haunted world of El Superbisto, specifically the idea to do with, and I can't remember whose this was, the idea to do with a town of doppelgangers trying to overtake another town hmm. cannot remember whose ideas uh, idea that one was i think we kind of merged ideas on that one mostly came up came up with that on the cast fair enough well taz makes the suggestion of you have forgotten to include the m night Shyamalan twist in the last scene of the session as the pcs celebrate their victory pan to the gates of the cities where the pcs are just arriving now i read that and I'm trying to figure out whether this means that the PCs who 
successfully fought off the doppelganger menace were actually doppelgangers and their originals are arriving, presumably to fight off the doppelganger menace. Or they are just about to be invaded by a bunch of doppelgangers. Or what? <laughs> well, I mean, where, where I went with it was um, if instead of going with doppelganger, you go with possibly unaware construct right and you made this part of a longer game you could have some fun with situations where the players have no idea whether they're the construct or not ah okay right do do golems dream of something 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 I can't think of a good one yeah I was wondering where you were going to win that one Um, Shades of the Battlestar Galactica Mm. uh, series where you had at least one case of an un, an unknowing Cylon. Yeah. I believe... Huh. Uh, I cannot actually mention that because it occurs really late in the book, so I'm just going to leave that one alone. Okay. Fair enough. We'll redact that. Actually, that, I, I briefly thought about something, and you've, you've just looked back to it, the idea that rather than the, the walls of reality crumbling or anything like that, maybe... As part of the game to round out the party, the party has a construct with them who is like an artificial party member. And, but they're a bit glitchy. So, GM NPC. Sorry. <clears throat> I was thinking like the, 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 the wooden fighting dummy from like the Tekken series, Mokujin or something like that, who could basically be, they could use the moveset of any of the characters, but this, the, but only one of, only one at a time, of course. Huh. So, but maybe this this because they have miraculous artifacts and so forth, which have got various things. Is the there's the one that's basically a, a deep sea submersible and so forth, and in D and D and so forth, which is very specific. I've got to say, um, but maybe the one they've got's a bit wonky, and you know, every time it it's it's rewound or reset, it changes character class. And so far, it's been very de- dependable. But this Thursday, it's a monk for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, we planned on it being a bard. We had a concert scheduled. <laughs> I just have, just have him do, um, yeah, have him do his counters on the stage for a while. You know, we'll hum or something. Yeah, maybe nobody will notice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's a possibility that your your um, your artificial party member has changed to a completely unexpected. Yes, which basically means you need to go and get your fantasy android fixed. <laughs> and we more or less, I think. Have the plot for Cherry 2000, I think, at this point. Nice. Excellent. If we're going to roll back to crappy 80s um, things, which I think we started in the episode... In episode of... one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. This is, this is really, we haven't really travelled any distance, to be honest. There's just been... The wheels have been turning, but it's not much going on. I think we may have hit that point. A, I think my voice is giving out. We've been rambling. But, yes, if we can... Look What's this to... wee word, white man? <laughs> I have been concise, and no, I haven't. <laughs> this, yeah, if we can, if we can loop it back to artificial D and D party members in cheesy, was it eighties or nineties? It was late eighties, at least. Yeah, science fiction films about sex bots. We win, indeed. Oh, thank you, brain. <laughs> what have you done? Oh, it's just the yeah. It's been doing all these things. Oh, uh, that's because nobody's um, emptied the internal reservoir. Yeah. What's the reservoir for? Well, let me explain some of the other functions. No, no, that's not necessary, says one of the members of the party with an embarrassed look on their face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nobody else realized that there were those functions built into the, um, <sighs> the, the artificial party member. Yes. Oh, dear. That's entirely too <laughs> reminiscent of adolescent D&D games as well. Alrighty, I think we have... Finally hit the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> which, much like the party's animated sex bot golem, <laughs> is made of wood. I'm so glad I'm not editing this episode. Uh, so, you are both responsible for the last episode and the way we ended this episode. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're proud. That's all I can say. A little bit, yeah. <sighs> a little bit. 
I'm proud in retrospect. I mean, I, I'd completely forgotten putting the Haunted World of El Superbisto into the uh, the Tub of Happiness, mm. but it does seem like the sort of thing I might have done because the title does appeal to me. Yeah. Based on your review, far more than the actual film would. <sighs> I, I kind of think you have to watch it now. If, if Why? I kind of feel like if I would feel better if you felt morally obliged to watch it now. <laughs> Couldn't I watch something that wasn't shit? Um... Sure, watch Shiro. It's it's much better. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, if I was looking for a streaming, yeah, if I, if I was going to be illegally streaming something, I'd, I'd like to try to track down a film that I have not been able to find legally anywhere else because I've never seen Brother from Another Planet. Okay, just throwing that one out there. Right, that's a tangent. Indeed. Cool. Okay. So, in conclusion, people, on Thursday he he became a monk, which nobody expected could be due to a fundamental change in the universe, could be due to some sort of breakage or blockage or weird effect within your artificial party member, could be because there's something surreptitious and sneaky going on, could be because a magical plague is mutating, Hmm. and could be because, in some weird way, people know the rulebook to the universe itself. So, generally, not a good sign. Look out for that one. Indeed. And on that cheery note, <laughs> have have a very good evening or morning or whatever period of the day that you happen to be listening to this this in. We hope you're still listening. Not sure why you would be, but kudos. And um, please, please <laughs> join us for episode 117, the prompt for which comes to us from... Spectacles underscore AK. I'm not I'm sure assume whether there's a spam bot. Maybe not, or possibly a Twitter handle. I'm, I'm genuinely not sure. Yeah. But the prompt is Sailor Noir. Nice. All right. Thanks, everyone, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye now. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to h-o-a-r-d-e dot net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.